0: But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? But I perish here with hunger. And he arose and came to his father. In the name of the living and true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. It's such a blessing to have Father Kraft and Dorothy back with us again this weekend. Well, sort of I mean, it's great having Dorothy here again. Here's the thing. I've told this story before, uh but it bears repeating, so i'm I'm telling it again. <coughs> Excuse me, years ago, Father Kraft was giving the sermon here at St. Michael's, and I went home from church that day, and my wife, Therese, was like. Oh, wow, did you hear Father Kraft's sermon? It was so good. I mean, he is so wise and intelligent and insightful. And I was like, okay, okay, settle down. It wasn't that good. And I figured all this high praise was probably just a fluke. I mean, I never hear my wife say anything about my sermons, But I was wrong because the next time that Father Kraft preached, same thing. I come home, wow, did you hear the sermon today? And then the next time and the next time. So finally, one day, Father Kraft and I are having a meeting. I can't remember why, probably because he had done something wrong that needed correcting. (coughs) And anyway, after the meeting, I told him, hey, you know, my wife, like, really likes your sermons. I mean, every time you preach, I come home and she's like, oh, wow, that sermon, blah, blah, blah. So I just thought, I don't know, you would want to know that. I'm just passing that along. And he says to me, really? No kidding. No, because every time you preach, I come home and Dorothy's like, wow, did you hear Father Doran's (laughs) sermon today? That was so good. But whenever I preach, nothing. (laughs) Trace asked me, uh, when she found out that Father Kraft would be visiting, she asked me who would be preaching this weekend. Is Father Kraft going to preach? And I told her, no, no, he's not going to preach. I'm going to preach. So on Friday, she flew to Chicago to visit her family. (laughs) Anyway, it's such a blessing to have Dorothy back with us again this weekend. And too bad for my wife, because I was going to try to begin my sermon with a quote from a Russian novelist to seem smart like Father Kraft, because that's what he does. So the Russian author... Alexander Solzhenitsyn, in his masterpiece, The Gulag Archipelago, writes of the truth of good and evil in human beings. Uh, This quote leapt off the page when I first read it. He writes, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it was necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But, he says, the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? This is indeed truth for the ages, and especially in our own day, uh, when the world around us seems to be increasingly polarized and divided, and it's so easy for us to think that all the evil is over there, but certainly not over here where I am. No, the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. I mean, for some strange reason, it seems so much more natural for us to see the evil in others and the good in ourselves, to condemn others and excuse ourselves, even if it's for the exact same offense. I'll share a couple of my favorite personal examples of this. One was the time that I was looking for a parking spot and there was a car that had straddled the line so it was almost impossible to squeeze into the empty spot, but I did so anyway, and as I was parking my car, I cast aspersions on the anonymous perpetrator who had parked their car so poorly next to me. And then when I returned to my car 20 minutes later, that car had left, and I was the one who was now straddling a parking spot, straddling the line. And then there was the time last year when I traveled to Chicago during Lent, and I slipped into an Ash Wednesday service, and I was anxious to meet the rector after church, and introduce myself, make a connection, only to find out that the rector was not at his own church on Ash Wednesday. And I thought to myself, what kind of a priest abandons their own flock on Ash Wednesday? Wah, wah. <laughs> it seems way easier for us to condemn others and to forgive ourselves. But the truth is that, as Solzhenitsyn points out, the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. We are, all of us, a kind of morally conflicted hybrid. We were made in the image and likeness of God, which is so good, and yet, as St. Paul points out, we have all sinned and turned away from God. So with this in mind, we turn our attention to the prodigal son, a familiar story, not just the parable itself, but a familiar story because, in truth, the story of the prodigal son is our own story. He, too, is a hybrid. He is a beloved son of the father, and yet he chooses to leave the house of the father. Why does this younger son leave the house of the father? Indeed, why do any of us leave the house of the father? What is this almost irresistible urge that we all wrestle with that compels us to take all of the blessings that God gives us and run, to take all of the gifts and the treasures and the inheritance that we have been given as beloved children of God and run off with them into a land far away from the house of the Father. Why do we do this? I don't know why we do this. Perhaps because we think that there might be something better out there apart from the life of God. Or perhaps because we think that we might discover just a bit more fun or a bit more pleasure or a bit more happiness. But the truth is that the road away from life always moves toward death. The road away from light always moves toward darkness we cannot at the same time move away from the Father's house and towards the Father's house. Simple illustration, you can't drive both north and south on the five. You have to choose one. Now notice in the parable that the Father goes nowhere, which is to say that God the Father goes nowhere. We are the ones who depart and leave the house of the Father. God does not abandon us ever. We are the only ones who do the abandoning. The prodigal runs off to indulge in all the delights of the world. He doesn't just taste them, but he fills up on the forbidden fruits of the garden, those fruits which look so beautiful on the surface, but in the end lead only to death. Father Thomas Hopko, the 20th century Orthodox priest and theologian, points out that this departure from the Father's house to what he calls the pig pen of the world is not just a one-time event. He says that mentally, spiritually, in our mind and in our heart, we go off into this faraway country probably a thousand times a day. We find ourselves many times a day in the pig pen, he says, forgetting the house of the father. And we have to remind ourselves, he says that the church fathers teach that the forgetfulness of God, the forgetfulness of the father's house is the cause of every sin. So the prodigal runs off spends everything, and then we're told that a great famine arises, and he is hurting. He is in want. He finds himself actually sitting in a pig pen, looking longingly not just at the pigs, but their food, too. The pigs have more food than he does. The 4th century bishop of Milan, St. Ambrose, writes that the prodigal son begins to want and to suffer starvation Because nothing is enough for prodigal enjoyment. Prodigality means a wastefulness. We cannot feed this beast. It is insatiable. Nothing is enough for prodigal enjoyment. St. Ambrose goes on and says that he who does not know how to be filled with eternal nourishment always suffers starvation. So then Jesus tells us that this son came to himself, which is to say he came to his senses. He saw himself for who he truly was. He saw the truth of the situation. Sin, you see, creates a distortion of who we are, of our true selves. When we recognize our sin for what it is and we are able to see it apart from ourselves, we are able to see ourselves for who we are. And this is, in truth, how God sees us. The son, in a moment of repentance and contrition, he comes to himself, he sees things as they are, sees himself as he is, and most importantly, now he remembers the goodness and the love of the Father. He remembers that even the servants have bread enough and to spare. The early church sees this as a matter-of-fact allusion to the feast of the Lord's Supper and the Holy Eucharist that is in the house of the Father. Even the servants have bread enough and to spare. And so he acts. He gets up and he goes back to the house of the Father. It's so important to recognize that he does not have to act on this. He does not have to get up and return. He has the freedom to leave the Father's house and he acts on that, he chooses to leave. And even though he comes to himself, he still has the freedom to remain in the pig pen. But no, he chooses to get up and to go and to return to the house of the Father. It's so important for us to understand that these are two distinct steps. We can come to ourselves and see things as they are. But what good is this if we do not also get up and go and return to the house of the Father? And in truth, there is nothing out there in the faraway land that we do not already have in the house of the Father. This is that age-old, tiresome lie, really, that the serpent tells Adam and Eve, eat from this tree and you can be like God but they already are made in the image and likeness of God. And they have already been given the whole of his creation and even his own life. There is nothing that they do not already have. And so it is with the sons and daughters of the father. The older brother in the parable complains jealously to the father. This is like a whole nother sermon. I've served you my whole life. I've always obeyed you. You never threw a party for me. To which the father reveals this most profound truth of God, saying, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. God says, all that is mine is yours. Again, Father Hopko teaches, he says, some church fathers improve on this sentence, kind of magnifying it and saying, God not only says to us, everything that I have is yours. He even says, everything that I am is yours. My very being is yours. Mm -hmm. I have created you and saved you, not only to have what I have, but to be what I am. By faith, by grace, to be divine." There is literally nothing that exists in all of creation that is not God's. And therefore, by his most gracious gift that he has not given to us as well. And yet, our own sin, our own distrust, our own anxiety, our own fear, tempts us continually to chase after these mirages out in the desert that promise all the pleasures of the world, but in the end, lead only to the dust of death. When all along, all of the delights of both heaven and earth are ours in the Father's house. Where is Jesus in all this? Well, he is the one telling the parable, but he is also the means by which we are restored to the house of the Father, the means by which we are reconciled to God. St. Paul reminds us of this when he writes in today's epistle. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. May God give us the grace through his son, Jesus Christ, to come to ourselves, to come to our senses, and to get up and go and return to the house of the Father, and once there to always remember his goodness and remain in his presence, and to rejoice with others in his mercy and loving kindness. In the name of the living and true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.